It's important to understand that loving others isn't a suggestion from God to us. It's something we must learn to do. This message is the 10th in the series, Runway. The message is entitled, Live in Love, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. All of the dads in all of our campuses, happy Father's Day. Give all the dads a good round of applause as well. Dads, we love you and are grateful for each one of you. And This weekend, we're going to wrap up our series we've been involved in for several weeks now called Runway. By the way, next weekend, we start our summer series, as you saw a few moments ago, called Pray. I'm sure that for many of you, you've had moments in life, if you wondered, am I praying the right way? How do I know to pray in a way that will result in answers? So for about 10 weeks, I'm going to take you through the summer on a series called Pray. How do we pray God's way? How do we pray with confidence and know that God will hear and that God will answer? So don't miss that. Stay with us throughout the summer for this very important series series. As I said today, we're wrapping up the runway series. We've been talking about the eight attitudes that will take your life to a new level. We started talking last weekend about the attitude of love. I want to conclude that thought this weekend. If I were to ask you the question, what will take your life to a new level? What will improve your life? The answer to that question perhaps would be many things, but one thing for sure would be your attitudes. If you can improve the attitudes in your life, your life always improves. The Bible is very clear that God is concerned about our attitudes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul writes to Christian believers, folks like you and me, and says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, notice this, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Interesting that he says thoughts and attitudes because your thoughts actually precede your attitudes. How you think about God, how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, how you think about the world around you will form the attitudes that you have toward those dimensions of life and your attitudes will always determine your actions. So the question becomes, what are the most important attitudes for us to develop? Is there a checklist somewhere, a certain kind of set of goals we need to pursue when it comes to our attitude, our thought and attitude development? And the answer to that question is absolutely. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, we find this list of attitudes, eight attitudes that are designed to take our life to a new level. Peter writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, that's the first one he mentions, goodness to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Those are eight attitudes, eight characteristics, eight character traits, starting with faith, ending with love, six in between. And notice verse number eight. For if you possess, this is a promise, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you're growing in these eight things in your life, they, that is these qualities, these attitudes will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, if you'll develop these qualities and they will continue to increase in your life, here's the promise. You can be sure that you're going to be much more effective in the way that you live and much more productive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they take your life to an entirely new level. The last Mention of characteristics here or attitude is the word love. He said, add to your mutual affection, love. And the word love in the original language Greek of the New Testament is the word agape. Say that word with me, agape. We talked a little bit about that word last week. 
The word agape is a different word for love than we would be familiar with. We use the word love in our English language for all kinds of things. I love my children, I love my wife, I love ice cream, and it goes all together. And so some of the most insignificant things you can say that you love and some of the most significant things you can say you love and you still use the same word. But in Greek, there are different words to describe the different kinds of love that is expressed between us and human beings and us and God and God toward us. And agape is the highest form of love. It is the God kind of love. It is the love that God has for you and me. And the Bible says that we are to develop that same kind of love. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what does this love look like? What are are the characteristics of this love? How do we develop this attitude of love? How do we love people the God kind of way? It's a big challenge to think about loving people the way God loves. And we're talking about four things that are part of us learning to love in this God kind of way. And last weekend, I talked about the fact that love has to let go of certain things. We're using the acronym L-O-V-E to understand love. Love lets go of certain things. You can't love the God kind of way if you have resentment in your heart and hatred in your heart and jealousy in your heart and prejudice in your heart and pride in your heart. You can't love the God kind of way until you let go of those things. And so there's certain things that need to be removed from your life for you to love God's way. And then we talked about the O, open up. You have to open up your life to the possibilities of relationships and the importance of being vulnerable and learning how to connect with other people. And I want to share with you today two more things that love involves, this agape love of God. And the third thing and the first thing for us today is that the V in the word love stands for valuing people as God values them. Love values people the way God values people. I think that many times in life when we think about having a love problem with someone, I can't seem to love them well, perhaps the real issue is not a love problem. Many times it is a value problem. We're not valuing them because when you value something, you will love it. There's there's a dimension of love that flows out of valuing. So to develop a deeper love for people, we must value people much more deeply. And to do that, we must understand first and foremost how much God values us. If you do not understand how much God values you and how much God values people, you will not place a high value on people. So let me take you very quickly on a journey through Scripture that helps you understand how much God values you. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it is the chapter of creation where God is creating the world and all these wonderful things that are happening as God speaks and brings forth life. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created mankind, notice this, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, that when God made us, He valued us so much that he stamped upon humanity his very own image. Think about that for a moment. That God loved you so much that you're stamped with the very image of God. Isaiah 49, verses 14 and 15. The prophet speaks to Jerusalem and speaks to us as well. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. So they were thinking that God had forgotten them. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. God values you so much that his promise to you is that he will never forget you. 
You're stamped in his image, and he's promised that he will never forget you. Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that many of us have memorized. If you haven't, it's a great verse to know, to be very familiar with. Would you read it together with me aloud and loudly across all of our campuses? Let's read together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God says, my value in you is so strong that I always have something wonderful ahead for you. There is a hope and a future for your life. I'll not forget you. You're stamped in my image, and I have a future plan for you. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an, notice this, an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. The Bible speaks of God's love as an everlasting, eternal love. It will never, ever stop. Luke 12, 6 and 7, Jesus speaks of the love and care of the Father. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. Notice this. You are worth more than many sparrows. There we're told again the worth that we have before God. Romans 5, 8. But God showed us his great love, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That one verse should point to the fact that you're highly valued by God. That while you and I were still sinning, still doing our own thing, still living away from God, God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So the Bible says that God has lavishly poured His love on us, that we're God's children. I want to remind you this morning that God looks at you as an individual, He looks at you as a person that he highly values. God loves people and God loves you. He loves you and his value is in you. He places value in you. You're valuable to him. And in the same way that God values us, God wants us to value people as well. If God values people, should we not value people? Jesus said to his followers in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, as he has now been ministering to the sick and delivering people from demons and freeing people from all kind of oppression, he looked to his disciples and said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Then Jesus said these words, freely you have received, freely give. That when you and I receive the love of God, what should we do with it? Freely you've received, freely do what? Give. And so to love other people, we have to value people the way God values them. You will never love people until you value them the way God values them, seeing the value that he's placed in you. Let's talk about some practical ways that we do this. How do you value people as God values them? The first thing that's necessary, if you want to value people the way God values them, you demonstrate it by sharing Jesus Christ with them. Sharing and expressing the life of Jesus to other people. Let me pose a question to you this morning. If you had the cure for cancer, or you had the cure for any terrible disease, and you knew the cure, and you met someone who was sick with that disease, and you had the cure, what would you by love do for that person? You would share the cure with them, would you not? 
In fact, if you had the cure to a disease and you refused to share that cure with an individual, that would be opposite of love. Love would reach out to the one that is hurting and in need and suffering a major illness or disease. If you have the cure, love reaches out and says, I have the solution to your situation. When you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, and we've been forgiven of our sins, we have newness of life in Christ as Jesus has come into our lives and changed us from the inside out. He has cured for us our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin, and Jesus is the cure to the sin problem in humanity. And if He has healed us and delivered us and freed us and forgiven us of our sin, we've received the solution to the problem we need now need to express and declare that solution to those who are still suffering from the same kind of sickness. Amen? We have the answer. I want to tell you something today that perhaps you know mentally, but I want it to be deeply in your heart. The world that we live in today is deeply troubled. It's a troubled place. And people are looking for all kinds of answers. They're looking for educational answers and political answers and economic answers to try to resolve issues in our world today. And there are a lot of issues that can be addressed from that perspective. But let me tell you something. The biggest problem in the world today is a sin problem. Okay. It's the problem of human hearts that need to be turned back toward God again. And I want you to know that if you know Jesus as Lord of your life, you have the solution. You have the solution, and God wants to use you to share that solution with others. Now, I understand that it's not always easy to share your faith, but if you love people and value people, you'll share your faith with people. That doesn't mean that you become an obnoxious Christian who walks around beating people over the head with your Bible. That's not in any way how we're described as being, but we are to be those who bear witness of Jesus, and we bring people to Christ. We share the good news of what Jesus has done for us. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story of some men who brought a friend to Jesus. Let me read you the story in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Some men came bringing to him, that's to Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I love this story because it represents four men who knew the answer for their friend. Their friend needed to be healed of his, of his paralysis. He needed to be healed of his condition. And they understood where the answer was. The answer was in Jesus. And they did everything possible to get this man from his mat into the presence of Jesus, even by tearing a hole in the roof and dropping him down in Jesus' presence. They got their friend to Christ and their friend experienced salvation. Do you think that that man was appreciative of his four friends? You better believe that he was. And I will tell you that when you're a part of leading somebody into a relationship with Jesus by sharing your story with them, your Jesus story with them, by sharing the gospel with them, by inviting them to a church environment where they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you're a part of leading someone else to the saving grace of Christ, you're showing value for people. It is one of the things that we're called to do. The second way that we show value to people is by walking and working in unity with one another. Many times in life we find ourselves dividing and divisive and broken apart from relationships. And what I, want, what I want you to know today is that division weakens. Division always weakens. And to value people, what you want to do is come into relationship with them so that you can walk in unity with them. You can, there's a harmony that happens. Anybody can be divided. It takes maturity to be united. Let me say that again. 
It takes no maturity at all to be a divisive person. In fact, immaturity leads to divisiveness, but maturity is what leads to unity. If you want to see a, a mature marriage, you see two people walking in, unity. If you want to see a mature friendship, you see two people walking in, unity. If you want to see a, a mature working relationship, you see two people working together in, unity. See, anyone can be divided. It takes a miracle and a work of your heart of love to come into unity with people around you. And God's call to us, we live out our love by learning to be unified. And I will tell you this, you don't always have to see eye to eye with someone to walk hand in hand with them. You can walk hand in hand with someone even when you don't see eye to eye. There can be differences and you can lay some of those differences aside and say, you know what? We're going to work together. We're going to be connected. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, notice this, agree with one another and what you say and that there be no divisions. How many divisions? No divisions among you, but that you will be perfectly united in thought, mind, and thought. Romans 12, 4 and 5, for just as each of, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Ephesians 2, verse 14 and 15 from the passage translation, Passion Translation says, Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious blood on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jew and non-Jews fused together, obviously in Jesus Christ. What an amazing passage. But you say, well, how do I value people? You value people by expressing your faith in Christ to those who don't know him. You show you value them by sharing his love with them. You show people you value them by learning to walk in unity and harmony with them instead of in division. And then you show value by learning to strengthen and protect one another. One of the first questions that mankind ever asked God was found in in Genesis chapter 4, and it was after Cain had killed his brother Abel, and the question back to God was, am I my brother's keeper? Do I have any responsibility to my brother? And of course, we know the answer to that was certainly you do, and the same is true for us, that we have responsibility for one another to strengthen and protect one another. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Notice the power of relationships. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, a friend loves when at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens 
another. If you and I are going to love the way God loves, we have to value people the way God values them. Can I ask you a question this morning? How much value do you place on people? Do you value people the way God values people? The last point in this series, the last point in this message, when we talk about the love of God, what does it mean? How do we live in the agape love of God? We let go, we open up, we value people the way God values them. And then the final E stands for elevating interaction with other people. Love always elevates the interaction with others. Anytime there's hatred or resentment or bitterness in relationships, malice, any of this kind of stuff always lowers interaction. We even speak of it, of going low with someone. What you mean is you're saying things that drive people down. You pull people down. You knock people down with your words. And so the opposites of love always bring down. Love always brings up. Amen? Love always lifts. Say it with me. Love always lifts. Love never puts down. Love always lifts up. And so if you're in a mode of putting down, you're not living in love. Love always lifts up. Love always takes communication to the higher level. It lifts it in every dimension. It adds instead of subtracting from. It brings value to. It brings unity to, as we described, instead of dividing. I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul described the lifting nature of love in the greatest passage on love in the entire Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to notice the lifting nature of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Read verses 7 and 8 with me. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Go back to verse 7 and read it again with me. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. All of these words, first and foremost, describe the love of God to us but they also describe the kind of love that we're to have toward other people. And these words are all elevating words. They're words that lift up, that take a person's life to a higher level. So what does this kind of love look like? How do you love people in a way that elevates their life instead of putting them down, you build them up? Let me give you four things here. With this, we're going to conclude today. Love always lifts burdens. When you come into a relationship of love, what your goal needs to be in that relationship is to, how, is to ask the question, how can I lift burdens from another person? Here's our problem. Our problem is that we're all self-centered, are we not? And so we tend to go into our world thinking about how someone else can help us. And so our focus becomes upon on our own burdens, on our own problems, our own issues. And so we live our life looking for people who will lift our burden. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip that around. And instead of being concerned about someone lifting your burden, I want you to lift someone else's burden. Why? Because when you lift somebody else's burden, your burden gets lighter. 
Every time you lift somebody else up and you pour into somebody else's life, there there is a curative thing that happens in you. Job learned this lesson. Read the book of Job as he's going through all of his trials and tribulations. And you get to the last chapter of the book of Job and Job is in his misery. He's going through a really hard time. And then he has this moment of insight and he begins to pray for his friends who had been abusing him in certain ways and, 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 and dragging him down. And he begins to pray for his friends. And as he prays, for his friends, the Bible says that the captivity of Job was turned. He found healing in his own life. Why? Because he started lifting the burdens of others. Dear ones, let me tell you today that as you go into this next phase of your life, as you move to this next level of living, can I encourage you to be a person that goes around lifting others' burdens? Don't worry so much about who's lifting yours. Lift someone else's burden. Galatians 2 6 verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I like the way the Passion Translation says it. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the Anointed One as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you're too important to stoop down to help another, you're living in deception. Let's be people who stoop down to help others. Amen. How does love elevate? Love lifts and then love helps restore other people. In the world around us, we have lots of broken people. We've been broken. Many of us continue to suffer with broken areas in our own life. All of us understand something about brokenness. And the God of the Bible is a God of restoration. He takes broken things and puts it back together again and makes something beautiful out of brokenness. In the 15th century, The Japanese came up with an art form based upon a need. A need was they were having pieces of royal china that were broken and they didn't want to dispense with it. They wanted to find a way to put this pottery, this china, beautiful china that had great history back together again. And so they formed something called kintsugi. Kintsugi is an art form where you take broken pieces of china and you actually, through a process of lacquer and gold or platinum or silver, you actually take what was broken and make something far more beautiful out of it. Here's a picture of one piece of art that was made by Kentsugi. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. A broken vessel. You see where the brokenness was, but now someone as an artist came in and put those pieces lovingly back together and carefully back together and through a process added gold into it. And now that provides for us a beautiful picture of what can happen out of brokenness. What I want you to know today is that that's many times a picture of you and me, that when we come to Christ, we come with all these pieces broken in so many different ways. And Jesus begins to work in our life and polish us and add a little bit of gold here, a little platinum there, a little silver there, and begins to form something beautiful. Oh, you, you can still see where the cracks were, but now they shine with the glory of God. Amen? Okay. This is called restoration, and this is what the church needs to be good at. Because not only do we need to experience the restoration of God in our lives, God wants to raise up an army of restorative people that in our world today, we need people who will be the arms of Jesus, the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, helping broken people find restoration. See, the church has been far too good at condemnation and not restoration, okay? 
So what needs to happen in our mindset as we move from the condemnation to the restoration, oh, there's plenty of things to condemn in our world, but we don't need to be a voice of condemnation. The Bible says, even of Jesus, he said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So God is saying to you and me, would you elevate some people around you? Would you step into their world and lift their burden? Would you step into their world and be a voice of restoration, a voice of hope, a voice that lets them know that God can take the broken pieces of their life and put it back together again and create an art piece of beauty, a masterpiece that brings glory to him. Will you be a part of the restoration team? Okay. And can you imagine if in all of our lives, boy, I get excited just thinking about this, that if in all of our lives that we would shift our gear from condemnation to restoration. Can I encourage you to turn in your condemnation t-shirt? Okay. And get a hold of a restoration t-shirt. It's Amon God's restorative team. In the Bible, there's a word for this restoration that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Galatians. Let me explain the word to you before I read his, his, word, his words in just a moment. The word for restoration actually was a medical term. It's a term that was used to describe the setting of bones. You take a bone that had been broken and you get it back into its right place again so that healing can happen. And as I understand the healing process of broken bones, that even once the healing has taken place, when there's been a right placement of those bones together, that place becomes stronger than it was before after the brokenness heals. And Paul used that medical term in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to what he says here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should condemn that person harshly. Are you paying attention? Is that what it says? Let me start again then. Brothers and sisters, turn to your neighbor beside you, tell him that he's talking to you right now, good, and he's talking to you, okay. If someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should, what's the next word? Restore that person how? Gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Paul says when you find someone who's been caught in a sin, their life is broken by some mistakes that they've made and it seems as though their life has been shattered. If you're really spiritual, this is what you'll do. You'll step in and you'll elevate that person's life. You'll be a part of the restorative team. You will restore them. Notice he used the adverb there, gently. If you've ever been and had a broken bone before, you've been to the doctor for the bone to be set, I tell you something, you appreciate a gentle doctor. Okay. You appreciate someone that takes those bones and gently manipulates them to get them back where they need to be again so that healing can take place. And so Paul says, that's the kind of person that you need to be because you need to be aware it could happen to you too. Take a look now at the Passion Translation. I like the way it says it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, my beloved friends, if you see a believer is overtaken with a fault, May the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. First Peter 4.8, Peter writes and says, Above all, love each other deeply because love does what? Covers a multitude of sin. So to elevate people, how do we do this? We lift burdens, we restore people, and then we also bring refreshing and encouragement to others. 
Paul went through a really tough time, many tough times in ministry, and he found that oftentimes his, his greatest refreshing came from people who would step into his world and show him love. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 5 through 7, when we arrived in Macedonia, Paul says, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you when he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what had happened or what happened and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. Paul says, I was going through a really tough time. Life was challenging, ministry was hard, but God encouraged me by sending someone into my world by the name of Titus, and Titus coming brought encouragement to my life. The last thing I'll share with you today is that we're going to elevate other people. We have to stand with them and provide support. I often hear people ask the question, Pastor, how do I serve God? What can I do to serve God? I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know how I can serve God. Can I help you with that today? If you don't know how to serve God, I'm going to get you started today. You know, one of the beautiful things I've learned about God is like He can get you where you need to be once you get moving, right? It's kind of hard to steer a a car that's sitting still, right? The only way to steer something is got to get moving. And so I'm going to tell you today how to get moving in a way that God can use you. How many of you want to be used by God? You want to be used by God? Okay. I'm going to tell you a really simple way to be used by God. Very simple way. Just to come along beside other people and just support them. Just support them. It's one of the great... God will use you greatly when you become a support to other people. When you become someone that adds value to the people around you. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those or mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, one translation says. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather, when two or three people come together, when they connect, there I am with them. And Romans 15, verse 1 says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Love always elevates the interaction with the people around you. The last verse I want to leave with you is a verse that is really simply a command for all of us. As we're wrapping up this series together, we're talking again about this love, living the life of love. Peter chose that last word, that word to be the last one in his list of eight. Love does what? It lets go of things. Love opens up. Love values people the way God values them. Love elevates the interaction with other people. And it's wrapped up in this one final verse in 1 John 4, verse 11. Would you read it together with me? All all aloud together. Here we go. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, what is our charge now? To love one another. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you this morning for the challenge of your word to remind us that we're to live in love, that love values people the way you value them. And I pray this morning that you'd help each one of us to place a higher value on people than we've ever done before. Love always elevates, it always lifts up. And I pray that we become burden bearers. I pray you'd help us to be restorers, help us to be people who support those around us. Lord, I pray that in new ways that we would learn to love others in the same way that you've loved us. Seal this word in our heart today, we pray in Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 